It does work. Scientists now using urine to help raise bumper crops of cabbages. Apparently, cabbage needs lots of nitrogen, and human urine apparently is a safe and productive fertilizer. But there is that yuck factor. Risk-to-benefit ratio. How do you make an informed decision about what best meet your own health care needs? With the news out today that chemotherapy for women, well, the risk out might weigh the benefits. And what about those new CT scans for the heart? What are the risks versus the benefits? We'll talk about that decision-making process when it comes to your health care. Opening up the phone lines, inviting you to join us toll-free at 1-800-307-3002, right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now, the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. Well, we have talked at length about meditation and the science behind it with MIT recently convening um, a multi-day conference all about um, uh, Buddhist meditation, indicating that it has great science to back it up and intriguing evidence to suggest that you can actually change the temperature of your skin through meditation. There are some 600 published studies on forms of meditation known as TM, Transcendental Meditation. Uh, Other studies back up mindfulness meditation. Now the University of Oregon has put uh, to the test integrative meditation. And what did they find? This is pretty interesting. They took a look at 40 Chinese undergraduates at the University of Oregon who underwent just five days of 20 minutes per day of integrative meditation. What did they find? There was a decided difference as compared to the group who simply did relaxation. They found that integrative meditation... Uh, evidenced a significantly greater improvement of, of attention and mood after only five days of training, which, of course, opens the door for the evidence to suggest that uh, training and meditation, particularly at young ages in school, can arm oneself with the tools you need to help control that mind-body experience um, and whether it affects your gut, your back, um, your heart health. We know that meditating on a regular basis has much science to back it up. And, of course, the great thing is there are many forms of meditation. There is no one right way. And whether it's prayer or mindfulness meditation, um Transcendental meditation, in this case, integrative meditation, all of these can have significant 
health benefits. We're speaking of the effects of stress, that mind-body connection. This is interesting. Uh, University of London has done some research that's published in the current Archives of Internal Medicine. They found the stress and anxiety of a hostile, angry relationship increases your chance of uh, either frank chest pain or a heart attack by 34%. That a person's heart condition seems to be influenced by negative, intimate relationships. And whether it's a close friend or family member or a spouse, you now know that it can produce measurable calcification of your arteries. This study asked whether people had a emotional support, a chance to talk with somebody about their problems. Uh, they followed up over a 12-year period and found people who reported that arguments, criticism, and conflict were most often... Um, you know, mainstays of their life had a 34% greater risk of a heart attack or chest pain even when you stripped out risk factors like obesity, smoking, drinking, family history. The risk of heart attack was still higher. And, of course, it uh, relates to the fact that we know that the heart has more brain cells, neurons, than any other type of cell, which literally means we're hardwired to think to our heart, so feasible that why it might sound a little woo-woo, we are certainly hardwired to think with our hearts, and knowing that our heart has hormonal receptors, uh, you know, we define a certain type of heart attack uh, just because of, of severe emotional stress making all the more real the fact that that mind-body connection can have very real physical, physiological effects on the health of our heart, indeed our entire body. Well, it's a review that was requested and funded by the Department of Health and Human Services uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Department of uh, Health and Human Services Agency for Healthcare Quality and um, um, Research has indicated that if you're taking a look at the various treatment options for treating knee arthritis, osteoarthritis of the knee, you, you may want to look a little closer. What they found is that arthroscopic uh, surgery, um, you know, cleaning that knee joint, um, with or without removal of loose cartilage or debris, has absolutely no convincing evidence of benefit. That's amazing. Do you know how many of those arthroscopic surgeries are done on a regular basis? Again, quote, arthroscopic surgery to clean the knee joint with or without the removal of debris and loose cartilage has no convincing evidence of benefit. They found that injections with hyaluronic acid did improve scores of pain relief and mobility on patients' questionnaires. They took a look at the dietary supplements as well, uh, finding that there is science to back them up, but in a couple of studies, they're no more effective than a placebo. But, of course, placebos can be effective up to 65% of the time, so not necessarily a, uh, a bad scenario. So it's all about, of course, what we're going to be talking about today. If you have knee arthritis or chest pain or a headache, any condition 
for which you have to assess your treatment options. How do you assess the benefits of the treatments versus the risk to make an informed decision? We have a whopping 700,000 reported strokes each year in this country. It's the single biggest contributor to disability uh, in this country. And now two new studies out just this week, published in the British uh, uh, journal uh, Lancet Neurology, indicates that if you treat minor, many strokes quickly, it can greatly reduce the chance of a major stroke later on. And we have so many of these mini TIAs, mini strokes, transit ischemic attacks, where often uh, patients are told, oh, you know, you just need to, to watch that, you know, need maybe to uh, take a look at uh, blood thinning medication. We don't tend to take those mini strokes, those TIAs to heart, uh, but this research at the University of Oxford indicated that immediately treating small strokes, mini strokes, cuts the risk of a uh, disabling or even a deadly stroke by about 80%. So how do you address the strokes? We know there are many factors because strokes are related to inflammation, to clotting, and uh, the factors that include lifestyle. Exercise uh, makes a difference. Balancing the fats, getting more of the good fats, in this case the omega-3 fatty acids, makes a difference. Uh, Even spices like ginger and garlic and turmeric can make a difference uh, as well. Then there are other novel agents like natto uh, kinase, uh, although the prescription blood thinning agents can be used as well. In these cases, you have to, again, weigh the risk versus the benefits because treating a small stroke can prevent a bigger one. But what are the risks involved with those treatments? Well, it's uh, surviving prostate cancer that's been on the mind of Swiss researchers. They have studied data for nearly a 1,000 Swiss men with early-stage prostate cancer. They back surgery as um, uh, an important step to increase the chance of surviving cancer, although there have been other studies to indicate exactly the opposite. So again, it leaves you with the situation about which we'll talk today. When you are faced with a medical dilemma or even charting a course for yourself in terms of your health care prevention program, what are the benefits of your program? What are the potential risks? How do you make an informed decision about what meets your needs? We'll return open phone lines, your health care questions, right here on Healthy Talk Radio. America's number one source for health care information, news, and medical breakthroughs. Making America healthy coast to coast. It's Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray. It's long been on my uh, radar screen that it recently came to all of our uh, consciousness uh, with the New York Times talking about, um, well, it related to the COX-2 inhibitors, risk-to-benefit ratio. It became very clear to me several years ago, after many years of studying the medical literature, uh, show prep, glorified term for show prep that I do on a regular basis, that in many cases there was an underlying scenario of evaluating risk versus evaluating benefit 
that was often a very important part of the total treatment plan. And having recently uh, uh, talked with a friend, gosh, my age, uh, advanced ovarian and colon cancer, again, she was assessing the benefits of the therapies that have been recommended for her versus the risk, um, and she chose some very innovative ways to mitigate some of the risk of the therapies that she uh, that she chose, or what's uh, available in today's news gives us the opportunity to discuss that no matter what treatment plan of action, even if it's an, an early detection preventive plan or true preventive plan based upon lifestyle, whether you use natural remedies, whether you use over-the-counter remedies, of course coming under um, increasingly close scrutiny because we now recognize that even the over-the-counter non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents, uh, the acetaminophens, the ibuprofens, uh, the naproxens have risk as well as benefits to talk about not only what this process is, how you go about it, why it's important in your healthcare uh, scenario, but some very visible examples with the information, the information in today's news that, well, for example, women who survive breast cancer, who have undergone chemotherapy, have a significantly increased risk of developing heart failure to the extent that um, there is now a debate in the current Journal of the American College of Cardiology whether or not the risk of chemotherapy to a woman's heart uh, actually um, you know, pale in comparison to the benefits to make pursuing chemotherapy when a woman's diagnosed with breast cancer as worth the risk. See where I'm going? We're talking about a scenario that if you have breast cancer and undergo chemotherapy, but it significantly boosts your risk of heart disease and heart failure, how do you take that into consideration as part of your decision-making process to be able to say, gee, uh, for example, um, if you add the um, drug that's often used post-breast cancer, Herceptin, along with um, uh, anthracyclines, uh, a, a therapy for breast cancer, it increases the risk of heart disease 500%, five-fold. So that's significant to consider when it comes to whether or not the risk of chemotherapy for breast cancer are worth the benefits to be received. In fact, speaking of chemotherapy, Dr. Ralph Moss, who is behind CancerDecisions.com, Dr. Moss, a former Director of Public Affairs for Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, runs a great site, CancerDecisions.com, offers a service, there is a fee involved for the service, to take a cancer diagnosis and map out all of the known treatment options, where these options are available, what the science is, if any, to back up these therapy options, 
what are the complications? Where are the therapies available? What are the costs uh, associated with the therapies? But one of the most significant aspects of that report is what are the risks of the therapies and what are the benefits of the therapies? Because, uh, for example, in the case of chemotherapy for uh, breast cancer, boosting the risk of heart disease in certain situations by 500%, if you have a family history of heart disease or a, a personal history of heart disease, you may want to reconsider chemotherapy for your breast cancer given the fact that it only heightens your risk of heart disease. According to the Brookings Joint Center for Regulatory Studies, just out this week, the side effects of the most commonly prescribed blood thinner in this country, the most commonly prescribed blood thinner, warfarin, are significant because this is an FDA-approved drug that sends 43,000 people to the emergency room each and every year. Warfarin causes 85,000 serious bleeding events. Warfarin causes causes 17,000 strokes. But the FDA has chosen to take no action because as yet there are no safer alternatives to warfarin. What's most significant about the risk of warfarin that are now being revealed to us is that warfarins significantly accelerate the hardening of the artery process. In fact, the mechanism of action of warfarin, quote, rapidly induces arterial calcification. So we're talking about rapidly accelerates the process of hardening of the arteries, rapidly raises blood pressure, and can result in stroke and heart valve problems. So if you're at high risk of a stroke or a clot because of a regular heartbeat, and it's serious, you and your physician have the opportunity to take a look at the benefits of blood thinning using warfarin versus the risk. And indeed, for any medication, whether it's prescription, over-the-counter, or natural, there is always the opportunity to take a look at the risk involved. In fact, with the prescription drugs, it's pretty much laid out. You have the opportunity to pick up a copy of the Physician's Desk Reference, PDR for short. Yes, you can find it online. Or even ask your pharmacist for a package insert. Take a look at all of the risks. Yes, sometimes the the font is of one point and it's very hard to read. Sometimes the language is very difficult to understand. But it will tell you all the side effects, all of the contraindications, all of the potential black box warnings of taking that medication. Of course, there's a further scenario to consider that we recently um, took note of collectively, and that was the COX-2 inhibitors, with the fact that if it's a new classification of a drug, it may be years, even decades, until all those risks are known. Additionally, 
if you are prescribed more than one medication, what are the risks then? Think about that. If you're prescribed more than one medication, not only does your due diligence include taking a look at the risk involved with each respective medication, but how do you get the information about the combination of medicines? Just think about it. The average American in this country fills, on average, seven different prescriptions over a year's time. If that American is over the age of 60, 33 different medications at one time. We'll talk about that. We're talking about risk-to-benefit ratio when it comes to your medical decision process. Inviting you to join us at 800-307-3002. The information on Healthy Talk Radio may be eye-opening, controversial, and disturbing to some closed-minded members of the medical community. But it is all well-documented and presented by credentialed guests as well as our knowledgeable host. It may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors. But hey, that's life. Risk-to-benefit analysis. It's what all of us go through on a regular basis. We're talking about it as it relates to a couple of news stories out today. The fact that an FDA-approved drug warfarin sends 43,000 Americans to the emergency room each year, causes 17,000 strokes. So how do you assess risk-to-benefit ratio of using a blood thinner like warfarin? Uh, The analysis out for women with breast cancer, knowing that the use of chemotherapy during breast cancer can uh, increase the risk of heart disease by up to 500%, fivefold. Then there's an analysis uh, done by Jane Brody, who's the well-known New York Times columnist, in today's science section, indicating that the risk involved with even doing a heart scan, a CT scan of the heart versus the benefits, is uh, something to be considered when it comes to using uh, these types of diagnostic tests. And, of course, it also relates to the fact uh, of which we have long spoken, and that is when a a procedure or a prescription or any remedy is offered to you asking the question, you know, how will this affect or change my diagnosis or my outcome? An important question to be asked to, uh, you know, to get all the information to, to make an informed decision. Let's say hello and welcome to Sam. Hi, Sam. You're on the air. Yes, I'm, I've been on this warfarin for five or six years. I have an irregular heartbeat. Uh, it, however, it is better. I've been taking uh, acupuncture treatments. Uh, what I would like to do is get off of this warfarin and take this natconase, and I want your comments on that. Yeah, there are many uh, practitioners who agree with that type of approach and do use substances like natokinase, although it's, it's not a... a Usually, in most cases, from what I understand from these physicians, Sam, an either-or scenario, because natokinase helps blood clots to dissolve. If you're going to use a, an alternative to warfarin, it yeah. includes making sure that you're getting enough of the fish oils. I, I take that. Getting enough of, of other agents uh, like uh, ginger and aged garlic, which are I, natural blood thinners. I take all of that. And then using natokinase along with that 
as an alternative to using the warfarin. In fact, um, I I had a discussion with a cardiologist uh, about this very fact who was adamant that, oh, you know, my goodness, look at the studies on warfarin and Coumadin. And yes, you know, we acknowledge that there are 83 studies. But when I showed him that there were over 2,000 studies on fish oil and its anticoagulant effects, he had to acknowledge that, you know, it was a bona fide alternative. But anytime you stop a medication, you know, that is something to be done in conjunction with the physician to make sure that you're covering all the bases for yourself, Sam. Uh, it wouldn't, wouldn't be safe to take, uh, start taking the natkinase along with the warfarin. Uh, I've seen many physicians do that when they're weaning a patient off the warfarin. But again, that's something, if you're taking a prescription medication, to work with a physician who's willing to help you do this in the right way. This this natokinase, they recommend, what, about two tablets, two pills a day or something like that? Uh, There's different doses basing upon whose brand you're using. These are 50-milligram pills, capsules. Yeah, again, you know, to get the, you know, the best information on the doses that's right for you, I would ask your physician. If you want general dosing information, I would call somebody like uh, Terrace International who deals with prescription-grade natokinase. Okay. And you can reach them out in California, Sam. They have an 800 number? Yeah, they have an 800 number, and you can ask them about the... Uh, the, you know, the dosing information that they have on prescription-grade natokinase. And if you need that 800 number, it's 1-800-824. Okay. I'm starting out again. I got the 800. 824-2434. 824-2434. That is this company in, in California. That is a company that has over 150 different lines of prescription-grade uh, vitamins and minerals. They deal with physicians primarily, and they'll be able to give you the dosing information on natokinase. But as far as you think it would be safe to change over to that, then? I have seen physicians do it very safely for many years, but again, I caution you, as long as you're doing it with a physician. Your heart doctor doesn't want to do that, but mine doesn't because he... <laughs> They follow doctor's rules, you know. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, there are not enough heart doctors out there who think outside the box. You know, we've talked to some of them here on the air, Dr. Jim Roberts over in uh, the Akron area, Dr. Stephen Sinatra, whose office is in uh, in Connecticut. Unfortunately, they're few and far between, but many times just a good integrative physician will work with you to get, to get you off that warfarin, if that's your choice. All right. Well, thank you so much. I All appreciate right, your time and information. All righty, Sam. All the best. An open phone line to invite you to join us toll free at 1-800-307-3002. The general topic here, risk to benefit ratio. Every time we put something in our mouths, whether it's a food or a, a natural remedy, an, an herb, a, a vitamin or a mineral, something over the counter, something prescription, there are risks involved. And the growing revelation to all of us that to make an informed decision about that type of approach, do you know what the risks are versus the benefits? And as we mentioned, 
if it's a, a prescription approach, a little bit easier to uh, to codify what the the risk are involved because of information like the physician's desk reference. There are nutritional desk references. In fact, the the PDR now has various references for herbs and supplements as well. And that's a great source of information. If you choose to take a dietary supplement, what is known about the science behind that supplement or natural remedy, as well as the risks that are known. And we had had started to talk about, well, if you're prescribed more than one medication, and the vast majority of Americans, we are prescribed more than one medication, how do you know what are the risks of taking multiple medications at one point at any one point in time versus the benefits of these medications? And it really struck me a little over a year ago. I had the opportunity to sit in the audience of an Institute of Functional Medicine meeting and listen to a conventional physician who had come to listen to the conference talk with the conference's leader. Dr. Jeffrey Bland. And the, the the gist of the conversation was this researcher was talking about some of the therapies that were being discussed that he considered to be quite alternative and quite without science to back them up. And when he brought up his uh, concerns and his objections to the conference content to Dr. Bland, Dr. Bland's reply was, well, doctor... Have you ever prescribed more than one medication to a patient? And you saw a look of puzzlement on this physician's face. Well, of course I have. I do it all the time. And Dr. Bland asked asked the simple question, show me the science. Any drug that is approved in this country has virtually no science with a, a, a Very few exceptions because we now see combinations of medications being marketed together. Combinations, um, uh, you might be familiar with Zedia, which is a new uh, heart medication. It's a combination of two other drugs. But nowhere in the science do we have the evidence to tell that physician or even tell you if you're being prescribed more than one medication, what are the potential risks involved? because then you become the experiment because these combinations of synthetic purified active ingredients may be entirely different when mixed together. Another interesting aspect of the risk-to-benefit analysis comes in the form of a book that was written by two pharmacists, Ross Pelton, and uh, Dr. Jim Laval that is entitled Drug Nutrient Cost. It's all about drug nutrient induced depletions that any number of medications deplete the body or cause the body to use more nutrients. And I think probably the best example that we all uh, can relate to is somebody taking a diuretic medication? How many people faced with high blood pressure 
are first uh, suggested to take a diuretic medication. Well, many of us are. And we know that that medication, that diuretic medication, medications like um, um, HTCZ, um, uh, hydrochlorothiazide, deplete the body of certain minerals, minerals like potassium and magnesium, so that you have to take supplemental nutrients along with the medication. So you can get an idea, this is a drug-induced nutrient depletion. The unrecognized fact is that there are many drug-induced nutrient depletions that are often overlooked or even the cause of the side effects for which many other medications are often prescribed. And the intriguing thing is that if you start to look through this book, The Nutrient Cost of Drugs, you get a picture knowing the side effects of certain prescription medication. For example, oral contraceptives, birth control pills. They are notorious for depleting the body of certain key B vitamins. And uh, certain key B vitamins are often uh, linked, their deficiency, to weight gain. So many women will talk about that five pounds that they can't lose until they stop taking the birth control pill because that birth control pill affects their B vitamin status. The steroid drugs. Anybody who is familiar with the litany of side effects of taking a steroid medication chronically as you would, uh, for example, if you have asthma, chronically taking steroid medications to try and, and dampen, try and suppress the inflammation that goes along with asthma. Weight gain, bone thinning, immune suppression, cataracts, Interestingly, if you take a look at the nutrient cost of steroids, they deplete the body of more nutrients than any other single classification of drug. And you can almost predict what the side effects are if you understand the nutrients they deplete. Yesterday we were talking with Dr. Jim Laval, who is a... Uh, an integrative pharmacist. He's a certified clinical nutritionist and a doctor of naturopathy who wrote uh, just an intriguing article in a recent uh, medical journal indicating that the pharmaceutical approach to diabetes sets the stage for nutrient depletion. And if you combine that with the fact that diabetes often sets the stage for increased urination with a, a greater you know, decrease, greater deplete, uh, depletion of nutrients, you can easily see that the complications of diabetes, heart disease, nerve problems, kidney problems, eye problems, are related to the side effects of the treatments. In today's... Um, personal health column in today's New York Times. It's a regular column every week during this time when the New York Times Science Times comes out. 
is talking about CT scans of the heart come with trade-offs. These are the new heart scans, CT scans of the heart, that were often um, the rage recently because they were offered direct to you and me. Physician didn't have to recommend it. We could go to a local scanning facility and have a CT scan of our heart. Well, according to Jane Brody, CT scans of the heart come with a trade-off. What are they? We'll be back to talk about them. 1-800-307-3002. We're talking about risk to benefit. How do you use those concepts to make an informed decision about the, your health care plan? Right here on Healthy Talk Radio, I'm Deborah Ray. Supersizing your health care knowledge. Woo-hoo! Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray. Risk fit. That's the analysis that we're talking about today to help you be better informed when it comes to assessing risk to benefit of any treatment approach even if it's a preventive treatment approach. And we bring that up because of what's in the news today, including Jane Brody's column in today's New York Times Science section, CT scans of the heart come with trade-offs. There has been this move recently back that many CT scans of the heart were sold directly to you and me, bypassing the doctor altogether to try and put our minds at ease or inform us that we might have calcification plaque in our arteries and why um, you know this this plaque there is a correlation between the amount of calcium and the soft plaque in the coronary arteries you know most heart attacks don't result from hard classif- hard calcified plaque in the arteries so if you have a high score a high calcium score on these heart scans sometimes it leads to further tests that have risk involved with them. In fact, uh, just was sitting the other evening with a physician, a radiologist, and they had just installed a new heart scan instrument, the the 64-slice CT scanner at the hospital where he worked. And he had convinced a fellow physician to come and have this heart scan done. And the doctor was one in, in relatively very good shape, taking very good care of himself. But when they did this heart scan, it showed he had severe heart disease. And the radiologist friend of mine was, was concerned, so he showed the CT scan to another doctor to get a second opinion. And the other doctor said, yeah, it shows severe heart disease. So they showed the results to the physician was understandably very concerned. Oh, my goodness, I have severe heart disease. I had no idea. The physician elected to undergo a cardiac catheterization. And the cardiac catheterization only showed 30% blockage. The heart scan, 70% or better blockage. So why the physician who had the test done came back to the radiologist friend and said, oh, I'm so relieved. Catheterizations are not without risk. So as you can well see, even CT scans of the heart come with risk as well as benefits. And, of course, that's all part of the discussion on the table today. 
What are the risks? What are the benefits? How do you inform, you know, become better informed, empower yourself to make a better informed decision about your own health care? If you missed anything, we invite you to join us online. The website, HealthyTalkRadio.com. We post today's healthcare news, the show archived for two weeks. I'm Deborah Ray reminding you, live long, stay healthy. 